Now turn with me tonight in your Bible to the Gospel of St. Luke. And I want us to read from Luke chapter 7. And I'm going to read from verse 11 right down to verse 18. I'm reading, of course, from the authorized version. And we do encourage you to follow the reading as it comes up on the screen. You may want to follow in your own copy of the scriptures. Let us hear the word of God tonight. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up, began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God had visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 11, right through to 18. And my theme this evening is the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son. This is one of three recorded miracles where the Lord Jesus raised a dead person back to life. It's interesting that it's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, this is the only mention of the city of Nain in the whole of the Bible. This miracle of raising up the widow's only son in Nain took place at the very entrance of the city. That is, at the city gate. Dr. Luke paints the scene. Two large crowds converge at the gate. The one crowd was grieving. People were hurting. They felt distress and grief and pain. A funeral procession was underway. I have no doubt that hired professional mourners would have been wailing loudly. I think of a bereaved, hurting mother, probably dressed in black, maybe even wearing some sort of tattered clothing, would have been walking behind the coffin of her dead son her only son. This woman's a widow. Most likely she was walking in the arms of other women. They were there to comfort her. And in front of her was the open coffin, and the corpse was visible. 
Can you picture them making their way out of the city gate? They're bound for the cemetery. They're going there to lay the earthly remains of the young man's body into the earth. The Bible tells us that there was much people of the city with her. Try and picture them tonight attempting to leave this city. And then at the same time, there enters a gathered crowd coming from the opposite direction. They were all followers of one whom they called Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. His disciples, of course, were with him and also much people. Now, Jesus of Christ, of course, was not only the Son of God, but he was a powerful teacher and preacher. He was a great healer and miracle worker. And I think of the lively conversation on the lips of the people. I think of the smile in their faces. I think of the joy in their hearts. This crowd was not hurting or grieving. This crowd had hope. This crowd had, had gladness written all over their face. Surely the contrast of the true crowds is very real. And these two great companies, they met at the gate of the city. The Bible tells us in Luke 7 verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, that was the widow, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. You see, the Lord Jesus felt bowels of mercy toward this woman. And he had a word for her that day. And the word was, weep not. He then came forward and stopped the funeral procession. He would have touched the coffin, no doubt, with his hand. And then he spoke a powerful word to the young man that was dead. And the young man, we read, that was dead, heard this one word, and the one word was arise. And the Bible tells us, and he that was dead immediately sat up and began to speak, and Christ then delivered him, no doubt, to his joyous mother. This was indeed a day of great rejoicing. This was indeed a great day and hour of resurrection, victory, and power. And what was the result of this powerful miracle that took place at the gate of Nain? Well, the Bible tells us. And there came a great fear in all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up amongst us and that God had visited his people. It says in verse 17, And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Now, of course, this is a beautiful, wonderful, miraculous story. As I've told you, it is only mentioned by Dr. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what is this but a great miracle of resurrection, power, and glory? And I thought tonight, given it was Easter Sabbath evening, that we would think about the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son. Now, there's a number of lessons we can learn from this story. I want you to think with me tonight, first of all, of the condition of the man. If you look very carefully there at Luke chapter 7, verse 12, we read the words, Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. Now, let's pause there. What does that mean? It means the man had died. 
That is, he had died physically. Surely that's obvious from the reading. Now, I emphasize that because some, of course, who are commentators, try to undermine this miracle. They, they make silly suggestions. The young man wasn't really dead. The young man was only pretending to be dead. Or, or the young man ha- had banged his head and, and, and sort of slipped into uh, unconsciousness. Or the young man was in a coma. I want to tell you, such conjecture are the silly suggestions of silly men. It's absolute rubbish. The Bible tells us, now look at the words, Behold, there was a dead man carried out. And I want you young people to think tonight of a corpse in a coffin. I wonder if you've ever seen a corpse in a coffin. Let me tell you tonight, a corpse in a coffin can't see. A dead man can see nothing. He has no sight. He's like one who is blind. You could shine a torch into his eyes. You could shine the light of his sun into his eyes, but he would see nothing. And that's the same for every person who is dead. And, and of course, a corpse has no sense. In other words, he has no feeling in his body. You could poke the finger at the corpse. You could stick a pin into the corpse. You could even come at the corpse with a hot poker but there would be absolutely no feeling in that body a corpse can't speak no words of communication you could say to the corpse say something let's say it's Billy or John but there'll be no communication from Billy or John because a corpse can't speak and a corpse of course has no strength No ability to do anything to help or assist itself. Now, why do I emphasize that? I want you to think of a corpse in a coffin. I've asked you, have you seen a corpse? A corpse can't see, it has no sense, can't speak, can't strengthen itself. And what is true of men physically is true of men spiritually. Remember the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, In Ephesians chapter 2 and in the verse 1, it makes this uh, tremendous statement. In Ephesians 2 and 1, And you hath he quickened, that is made alive, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now that's a powerful text of scripture. You see, spiritually, Men and women, young people, boys and girls cannot see or understand why they need to be saved. They can't see their sin, its depravity or the ugliness of it. They can't see or understand the way to be saved. Why? Because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And those that are dead in trespasses and sins and can't understand the need to be saved or the way to be saved... They laugh at you and I who would go to church every Sunday. And even though you can't physically come to church this Sunday evening, you are listening to the word of God. And they're scratching their head and thinking to themselves, what is the attraction for those Christians? Well, here's the answer. Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ tonight is the Prince of Life. Remember the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. 
John chapter 3 and verse 7. And you see, you can't see your need of Christ. You not see your sin. You, you, you not see the way to be saved, that he's the way, the truth, and the life until you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Spiritually, of course, you can't sense anything. Many tonight have no feeling or sense of their sin. They have no feeling of one's guilt. They have no sense of despair. They have no thought about their soul. They have no conviction of sin. They have no recognition of sin for what it is. They have no desire to repudiate sin. They have no compulsion to repent of their sin. Why? Because they need the regenerating power of the Spirit. And spiritually, of course, those that are dead and trespass and sin can't speak of themselves. They'll never call in the name of the Lord. They have no ability to cry out, save me. They'll never come to the place by themselves where they'll say with the publican, God be merciful to me, the sinner. They will have no desire even to say like Peter, save me, Lord, I perish. They will have no desire or thought after God or the things of God. Why? Because there's no sign of, of real life in their soul because they're not born of the Spirit. And it's only when you're born of the Spirit that you're giving the words to call on the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And spiritually, of course, men cannot strengthen themselves in a spiritual sense. They have no strength or ability to save oneself. Remember what we read in Romans, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And many sadly try to reform their own life. Many try to become religious. Many just think, well, I'll turn over a new leaf, I'll, I'll stop gambling, and I'll stop drinking, and I'll stop committing fornication and adultery. And of course, they, they, they go that in their own strength for a time, but they're still spiritually dead sinners. And their greatest need is that they're born again. The condition of the man, the man was dead, physically dead. And of course, men are dead spiritually. But we're also told something else in the Bible if you read in Luke chapter 7, verse 12, it says the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. We also read something else because the Lord Jesus said, if you look at Luke 7, verse 14, young man. Now think of that. The Lord Jesus addressed him as a young man. He was a teenager. He was maybe in his 20s. Isn't it very sad tonight when death comes to a young person? I know that the old must die, but it equally has to be said the young may die. It's true that death is no respecter of persons, and we've been thinking of death this week. I've been mentioning already tonight of the 107 People that have died to coronavirus in Northern Ireland alone and almost 10,000 throughout the United Kingdom. We've been thinking of death this week because of the death of Matthew Arnold, age 24, who died in Christ and he lived for Christ and has gone to be with Christ. And I know that his death, like the death of many other young people, has a dreadful effect when it comes into a family. When a loved one is taken, especially when it's sudden, especially when it's unexpected. But I want to say tonight to those who are listening, there is not one family that will escape the cold hand of death. And you know, some people have wave after wave of trouble into their home, even in the form of death. 
Large waves that will knock you down every time you go to get up. I could take you to a home tonight in the Porterdown area. I'm thinking especially of a broken-hearted widow. A widow who lost a beloved daughter. A widow who lost a beloved brother-in-law. And then later lost a beloved husband. And then lost a beloved granddaughter to a skiing accident. I'm thinking of Job. Do you know that one day... Job's seven sons and three daughters were all brought to succumb to death. It says in Job 1 and 2 that he had seven sons and three daughters. But then it says in chapter 1 of Job in verses 18 and 19 about a tornado that hit the home, the home of Job's eldest brother, and they were all killed in that tragedy. You see, surely tonight death is indeed the king of terrors and the terror of kings. Death is no respecter of persons. Death is no respecter of age. It was not an old man. This was a funeral of a young man. A young man full of zeal and promise. A young man in the prime of his life. A young man who had so much to live for. A young man who was flowering in life. And all of a sudden the cold hand of death takes him away and ushers him out into eternity. I can speak tonight of illustration after illustration. A young girl, 18, from the Dramara Hills, who just got her driving test, was involved in a very bad car accident and taken out into God's eternity. I, I could think of a young man in the Upperlands area, 20 years of age, having a row with his father, left the home, banged the door, jumped in a new car, a brand new BMW car, drove down the road rather recklessly and smashed the car into a tree and was killed. And of course, into the home came the police and there was a knock on the door and the mother, of course, collapsed in pain and anguish. You see, there's many families tonight know something about the death of a child. The death of a teenager. The death of a person in their 20s. Let's think tonight of the first burial in the Bible. Was it not the burial of Abel? Was he not a godly young man who lived for God, who approached God in the ground of the shed blood? And yet he was cut down in his youth. He was murdered by the hand of his brother. And who dug his grave? Who buried him? Surely it was his parents. Could you think of that tonight? The first burial in the Bible was a burial by parents of their child. To lose a child is bad. To bury that child. Surely that's difficult. We're told that this young man was not only dead, he was not only a young man, but he was an only son. The only son of his mother. The woman had no other children. This widow, I believe, had faced bereavement before. I believe she faced it in the death of her dear husband. When death took away her life's partner in life, all that she had left to focus on was her only son. I believe in the process of time, she had become more and more dependent on him. And tragically, he has died now. And grief comes upon grief. Grief comes again. Does the Bible not tell us in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We live in the uncertainty of life. The only certainty is of taxes and death. Why is there death in the world? Why do men die, the old and the young, boys and girls? Here's the answer. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Remember, God created this world very good. We think of the perfect environment in which he put Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. And how that Adam and Eve, tempted by the devil, fell into sin, the sin of disobedience, and us with them. And because of Adam's sin, we're now born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And we not only fell in him, but we sinned in him. And the guilt of his first transgression was put to our account. And because of that sin of disobedience, death came into the world and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And now tonight we're all going down the valley one by one. And here's two possessions coming in the opposite direction. Two companies, one grieving death and one glowing deliverance. These two companies represent all men. And you know, tonight you're in one of these two groups. You're in one group following the prince of life and peace, the one who said, I'm come that you might have it. You might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Or you're following the one who's the principle of death and destruction. So I ask tonight, in what company are you in? In what category are you in? Think of the condition of the man. He was physically dead. He was a young man. And he was the only son of his mother. And what did he need? He needed life. And and you tonight need to be born again. You need new life in Christ. Outside of Christ there is no life. Think secondly, not only the condition of the man, or the, but think of the compassion of the master. Look at verse 12 again. It says, Now when he was come nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Think of that. His mother, and she was a widow. I want you to think of a broken-hearted, grieving mother. And she's weeping at this gate. How do I know that? Because the Savior said unto her, verse 13, Weep not. I want to tell you tonight, I believe the Lord Jesus has a heart for every broken-hearted widow. You think of his coming to the broken-hearted widow. The Lord Jesus was in Capernaum, if we examine the context, 18 or 20 miles away. And yet providentially he came to the city at exactly the right time. He didn't come too late. He didn't come too early. He came at exactly the right time. In the hour of crisis, he came at the right time. Two crowds, one going out and one coming in. And he came because he identified, I believe, with the widow's need. Do you know when this boy would have died, they didn't wait a few days for the burial in the land of Israel, he had been buried that day. So what that means is the Lord Jesus had to have already left Capernaum, probably the day before, bound for Nain. There was no summons sent to Christ. He was not called in the telephone or received an email. Of course, there was none. There was no writer dispatched to request and send for him to come. There was no pleading. There was no summons. There was no requesting. And yet, wonderfully, the Lord Jesus knew her need. And he arrived at exactly the right time to meet our need. And you know what? The Lord Jesus knows all about you and me tonight. He knows everything about us. He knows our name and our need. He knew that this young man had died. He knew that he was really dead. He knew that his mother was a widow. 
And he knew that her husband had died. And he knew that she had been plunged into double grief and sorrow. And he knew that this was the only son of his mother. And he knew this woman's need, who was going to look after her now she was a widow. Here she is coming to a hurting widow. Think of his compassion to the hurting widow. This woman, of course, probably had the love of some distant family relatives. She had the love of friends. The Bible says there was much people of the city was with her. And isn't it wonderful, of course, and a privilege uh, to uh, have friends who will rally round, especially in a situation like death. But you know what we read in verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, that's the first thing. He had compassion on her. That was the second thing. And said unto her, weep not. Do you see the Lord's interest in her tonight? Notice this word, he had compassion. There's the totality of Christ's great compassion. We don't read that he saw the boy's body. He saw her. I believe he's a special place for widows in his heart and mind. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 68 and 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. That, that, that word judge has to do with discernment. And the Lord Jesus not only saw this woman but had compassion. In other words, he felt for her. His bowels of mercy was moved towards her. He had come to give her help and aid and assistance. It was a feeling from deep inside his inner being. Here's someone who sees, someone who has compassion, someone who knows, someone who's at the point where they're saying, Lord, I can't take anymore. Lord, I've nothing left to live for. And he sees her and has compassion. And he has a word for her. Think of his counsel to this hurting widow. Weep not. Now there's nothing wrong with tears as we said this morning. Tears have a unique language all of their own. But what does he do? He has a word for her directly. He speaks to her heart and mind. This word I believe was needed. Before he ever performed the miracle. He undergirded that miracle by his word. You see, he cares for her hurting heart. What moved him? I believe it was the sight and sound of her tears. Could I ask tonight, if you think about the compassion of the master here, he saw her, he had compassion, and he said unto her, and if you're a hurting widow or a hurting mother tonight, could I ask you this question? Do you shed tears for your children? Do you cry to God for those that are spiritually dead in trespasses and sin? Your boys and girls, your daughters-in-law, your sons-in-law. Does God see that your heart is moved in sincerity by your tears? Because I believe he responds and answers to tears. He puts your tears in a bottle. Here's the picture. He has come to her. Because she's a hurting widow. He feels for her. Because she's a hurting widow. He speaks to her. Before he does anything else. Because she's a hurting widow. And think lastly tonight. Of the conquest of the miracle. What did he do? He stopped the funeral. Can you imagine that? 
He put his hand to the coffin. He addressed the dead corpse. And look at what the Bible says. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And look at what the Bible says. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Is this not the voice of authority? Do we not see something here of the conquest of death? Has death not to give way to the command of Christ? Do you know that this is one of three performed miracles in the ministry of Christ where he raised people literally from the dead? Jairus' daughter had just died. She was a young girl of 12. Here's death in its infant stage. The widow of Nain's son had already died and he's en route to the cemetery. But there's no obstacle to Christ. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. What a miracle. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And even Lazarus, when he was dead in the tomb four days, he being dead stinketh. The Lord Jesus stood out of that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. See, here's this young man. And what made the difference? It was Christ. And how? By his word. Because he has power over death. Power over the devil. And the son of God. Who is unique tonight. One of a kind. Because he's the only begotten son of the everlasting father. And he said to this young man. Arise. You see here's proof that Jesus Christ is Lord. The power of his word. He speaks powerfully. But he speaks personally tonight. Remember what we read in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 and in the verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's the power of the word of God. What did the Lord Jesus bring to this situation? It was the spoken word. And can I remind you tonight what's written in the scriptures? It says in John chapter 5, a very interesting statement. In the verse 24 and 25, we read, Verily, verily, that means truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. And believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming. And now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the son of man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear that voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Do you know that one day we'll all stand before God. And one day all that are in the graves are going to hear his voice. And he will call them to come forth some to resurrection life. And some will be resurrected to damnation. And I want to urge you tonight as we close to make the necessary preparation. 
If there's the conquest of the miracle here by the power of Jesus' word, because Jesus is Lord and death has to give way to Jesus, then he calls you tonight to repent and believe the gospel. He calls you tonight to prepare to meet thy God, for God is coming to meet you in judgment. That's what Amos 4 and 12 means. And Acts 4 and 12 tells us, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I want to tell you tonight as we finish, that worldly man is impotent in the face of death. Worldly man cannot stop the cold hand of death. None are exempt. Not even the most powerful, the king or queen in the throne, the prime minister, Certainly not the richest, whether they be billionaires or millionaires. Certainly not the most healthiest. And we've seen this with this coronavirus, even attacking the most healthiest and bringing them down into ICU. And some have lost their life in their 20s and in their 30s. And I want to say tonight this, that is sad. But remember this, that Jesus Christ is Lord of death. And Jesus Christ is in absolute control and has power over death. And he can deliver you from fear of death, deliver you from fear of meeting God in the judgment because he summons you tonight to repent and believe the gospel. Here's a young man and his life was transformed from death to life. This young man is now alive. You think of the powerful effect that this had on the young man's mother. Would she not have been full of joy and delight? You think of the powerful effect it had in the crowd. A fear came upon all. They, they said, a great prophet is amongst us. A greater than a prophet, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God has visited his people. They glorified God. And that's what I want you to think about tonight. The resurrection of the widow of Nain's son. The condition of the man. He was dead. He was a young man. He was an only son. And then think about the compassion of the master. What he saw. What he felt. And what he said. And then what he did. The conquest of a miracle. Young man I say unto you arise. And that's what the Lord Jesus is saying to young men tonight. Young men I say unto you arise. I, I say to you young men. Arise before God, behold your God, get down on your knees and like Thomas cry out my Lord and my God. Get, get down on your knees and say Lord I repent, Lord be merciful to me the sinner and if you're a backslider say Lord restore me to the joy of thy salvation. It's important young people because we must live in light of that day whenever every one of us shall give an account of himself to before God and you must make the preparation you must be prepared for eternity you must be prepared to live now but you must also be prepared to die are you ready to die if death should come and take you away from this scene of time I commend this word to you tonight in this Easter Sabbath evening as you've heard the word of God think of these things the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son it's only recorded once in the Bible. And I pray tonight that God will apply the word by the Spirit to your heart. Thank you for listening. May God bless you and give you grace this evening.